Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from November 14th by Pastor Randy, titled Revival and Obedience. All right, well, for those of you who are watching online, it's now wintertime in Alaska. Because there are some that are watching, from, I know from in-state, but lots of from out-of-state, with uh, over 20 inches of snow, and it was five below when I got up this morning at my house. Uh, it's, I think it's winter. Uh, so, welcome to winter, guys. It's here. Some of you are excited, and some of you are moaning, I know, but anyway, it's here. But let's think about something really cool for a moment. I don't mean cool as in cold cool. But what if just believing something made a difference? How different life would be? What if just believing all the science behind eating a good diet and exercise gave you all the benefits of eating a good diet and exercise? Yes. What if just believing good financial principles made you better off financially? What if just believing that you should study gave you all the benefits of studying? If you're in school, you know, just if you believe you're studying, that makes you a 4.0 student just by believing it. How great it would be if just believing in something made a difference. Our lives would be fantastic. We know what we ought to do. We know the the right things. For example, the reason you bought that piece of exercise equipment was because you believed in exercising. You believed in cardio. You believe in, in upper body strength and how needed it was. But the reason you're getting rid of that exercise equipment is not because you stopped believing all those things, it's just you never did anything with it. Because we know that when it comes to diet and exercising, just believing does no good whatsoever. We know that financially speaking, we should live off less than we make. We know we should study. Spiritually speaking, we know that we should love others. We know that we should forgive, we should give, we should be honest. But if you don't do those things, it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. So here's our thing. Most fail, not because they don't know the right things or believe the right things, but because they don't do the right things. This is going to be a great sermon. You guys, you're on live with me this morning. You see, I would bet my next week's salary that when you're in a church and there's conflict going on in a church, the reason there's this conflict is not because they don't know the Bible. If you go to both sides of people on this conflict, they both know the Bible well. The problem is that they don't know the Bible. The problem is they don't apply it. They're not applying it. We have dumbed down Christianity over the past couple of decades into something that you just believe. As long as you believe... We've done it down to that. 
Why do we do that? Because believing is a whole lot easier than doing. I can just believe something, no change required. Just believing it is enough. When Jesus talked a lot of times, this is probably why that when he talked a lot of times, he didn't talk about things we need just to believe. He talked about what we needed to do. When he ends the Sermon on the Mount, he ends it this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and believes them. No, that's not quite what he said, I don't think. Maybe this is it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and writes them down. Everyone who hears these words of mine and remembers them. I know he's, everyone who hears these words of mine and agrees with them. That's what he said, right? Now, I know exactly what he said. He said this, everyone who hears these words of mine and feels convicted by them. Because that's what we do today. We'll hear some words, it may be in a sermon or a Bible study or a song, and we can feel convicted, and we think that's a religious experience. How many of you ever had your toes stepped on by a preacher before? You know, you, you hear and, and you feel convicted by what the preacher's saying. And we think that that's a religious experience. I felt convicted. Well, what are you going to do? I'm not going to do anything. But boy, I really felt convicted. I really felt close to God when, when, when he was talking about that and it just impressed me in my heart. I felt so close to God. Not going to do anything about it, but I felt close to God. I'll let you in on a little bit of secret. Pastors, a lot of times, when, when certain responses that, that people give, there's a response that people give that we call Christian mooing. It's when the pastor says something and people go, oh, mm. it touches them in their heart. And they we call it Christian mood, that they mood, oh, mm, you know, don't plan on doing anything, but that's a religious experience. People think, boy, I felt so close to God because of that. Here's what Jesus did say. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them will be like a wise man. What's a wise man? A wise man is somebody who can connect the dots. A wise man is somebody who knows what they're doing today is going to have an effect on their lives tomorrow. He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In that day, to build your house on a rock, it was hard work. It was time consuming, but it always paid off in the end. And what Jesus is saying here is not, do you believe me, but do you trust me? Will you live the way Jesus wants us to live before you know the outcome? That's a matter of trust, not belief. Here's what else. We read in verse 25, the rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. They knew about collapsing because when you live in a place where there's a lot of flash floods, you can lose everything. You might not even survive. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act upon them, just says amen and moves a lot, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
In other words, they heard the word of God, but they didn't do anything with it. Here's my question. Do you realize that it's possible to come to church and, and hear God's word, hear the preaching, and yet still live a life that undermines your faith? If you believe all the right things but don't do what you believe, you're setting yourself up for a crisis of faith. Your faith becomes feeble, frail, and fragile. See, a person that builds their life on the sand, y'all just ignore the phone. He'll put in $10 for missions later on, okay? <laughs> a, a, a person who builds his life on the sand, they are, they, they're the type of person that, Whenever they're experiencing a storm in life and their life's starting to crash, around, crash down around them, they'll blame God. They'll say, God, you must not love me. They'll turn their back on God. Why do people do that? Why would people, whenever they have a crisis, turn to, to blame God? God, you don't care about me. You're not loving me. You're not even there. You probably don't even exist. And they'll just turn their back on God. Why? Because their faith is so frail. It's so fragile. Why is it so fragile? Because they never exercised it. They never obeyed anything. They just believed. But they never acted on anything that they believed. They never trusted Jesus that living his way would avoid the crashes in life. And continuing on, Jesus says this, the rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house and it collapsed and it collapsed with a great crash. Both Verses 25 and 27 are identical. In other words, the storms look the same. Whether they built a house on a rock or built their house on sand, the storm was identical. And the idea here is that we're going to face storms. There's going to be relational storms, financial storms. There's going to be moral storms. There's going to be all these storms we face in life. Some of you have experienced storms. You've lived long enough. You've experienced several storms. Some of you even experience crashes. Your life has crashed. And maybe you're here this morning because you crashed and you want to try and fix things again. See, nobody plans on building their life in such a way it's going to experience a crash later on. Nobody plans on that. Nobody plans on having everything fall apart. Nobody plans on the foundation of their life being built on bitterness or, or lust or pride or anger or, or any addiction like that. Nobody plans on that, but it happens. It happens all the time. Why does it happen? Because it's hard to build your life on a rock. It's a lot easier to put your foundation on sand. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot easier to build on sand than it is on rock. It's not easy to forgive. It's like building your house on a rock. It's not easy to love people who are unlovable. That's like building your house on a rock. It's not easy to submit to others. That's like building your house on a rock. It's just not that easy to obey. That's like building your house on a rock. But if you'll do that, when the storm comes, you won't experience the crashes. So here's the thing. Everybody's building a house. Everybody's going to experience storms. The storm is going to reveal what kind of foundation you have. 
And if you will not just believe Jesus' words but act upon them, you will survive the crashes in life. So here's what's going on. The big picture here, when you take a look at all of Scripture, is that Jesus is giving us this principle of obedience and what that looks like on the outside. The things that's coming from the outside of us, the things that we experience in life, you know, the, the financial issues, the, the relational issues, the things that come. He, he's telling us about what happens on the outside in relationship to this principle of obedience. James talks about this principle of obedience and what's going on inside of us, on the inside. Here's what James says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So what does not doing the word, but just hearing it, how's that like deception? Back to exercise equipment again. Remember how healthy you felt when you bought that piece of exercise equipment? Just made you feel healthier, right? Remember how good you felt because I came to the, to the church. I heard the sermon. But you don't do anything about that. You're not making any progress. Here's the truth. Believing but not doing deceives you into thinking you're prepared for something that you're not. Then... What James does is he gives the mirror illustration, okay? Because if a man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. So a person who is aware of their issues, they see the problems, they see the difficulties in life, but they don't do anything about it, is like somebody who just looks in the mirror and goes, Oh, yes. They get up in the morning and go, yeah, everything's out of place. And then they just put the mirror down and walk away. Who would do that? Only middle school kids would do that. And parents, middle schoolers, you, you, you know this because they'll call. They'll say, they'll call from school and say, Dad, can I go spend a night at Joey's house tonight? And you go, sure, but you need to come home first. Why? Well, what are you going to sleep in tonight? What I have on? What are you going to wear tomorrow? What I have on? They don't care. But when you get older, especially when you ladies get older, you have whole bags of stuff to fix what you look like anymore when you look in the mirror. And you don't lead to everything is just the way it should be. In fact, I can tell you exactly how long every one of you spends in front of the mirror. Till you look better. That's how long you spend in the mirror. Okay? Till you look better. And sometimes you're late to something. Because you're sitting in the mirror and it didn't look better enough. And so that makes you late somewhere. Happens all the time. The mirror requires a response. When you look in the mirror, it requires a response. And nobody gets credit just for looking in the mirror. So one of you ladies, you get up and you, you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and then you say, ah, okay, and you go into work. And then the boss comes, he looks at you and says, you're not meeting with any clients today, not looking like that. And you go, but I looked in the mirror. Well, so what? You don't get credit for looking in the mirror. The mirror requires response, but nobody gets credit just for looking in the mirror. And this happens to us spiritually all the time. Here's what we know. We know what God expects of us and what he wants us to do in us, but we change nothing. 
Some of you have been dealing with the same habits, the same junk, the same issues for years. And you've refused to do anything about it. You don't change anything. But you feel close to God because you're being honest. You know, you have these issues and you're honest with what the issues are, but you never do anything about it. And that can go on for, for years, for decades at a time. It's not what you intend to do. It's what you actually do do. That makes a difference. So, how do you become a person that becomes aware of their issues and doesn't do anything about it? How do you become a person who begins to do something about it? There are steps that you can take. And James gives us this too. He does a contrast. But, on the other hand, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. The one who looks intently, he stops, he stares, he contemplates at, at, into the perfect law. What's he talking about? The, the per, he's talking about love God and love others. That law that Jesus laid out for us. That law, he calls law of freedom. Ah, now that's interesting. Because you talk to most people on the street and they'll tell you, I can sum up the Bible in one word for you. No. Anything you want to do, God says no. Any fun you want to have, God says no. But here he calls it the law of freedom. What Jesus gives us in, in, in bringing about this principle of obedience in his parables in, at the end of Matthew 5 is that you obey and the result is going to be you're going to have a life that will not come crashing down when the storms come. James says when you obey, you're going to experience freedom and obedience. Not for freedom and a blessing. But you're going, whenever you obey, you're going to experience freedom and a blessing. The man is blessed in what he does. Think of it this way. How many of you grew up tithing? I mean, you raised a little bit, you talked to tithe. You get, you know, get $10, you give $1 to anybody? Oh, okay. A few of you. I'll take 10. That's good. And you taught that, you know, and it's easy when, when, you, when you get, you know, $10 to give one, you get $100 to give 10. But when you make a few thousand dollars, that becomes a little more difficult, doesn't it? But you were raised that way, you were brought that way, and you continue to do it. And then later on in life, you experience the blessings of handling your money God's way or handling God's money God's way. It'd be a better way to put that. But, but, but you experience the blessings of that. But some of you are in debt. Why are you in debt? I'm going to spend my money the way I want to spend my money. I want the freedom to do with my money what I want the freedom to do. And you thought it was freedom, but then you discover later on when you're in debt, it's bondage to be in debt. In other words, to do things God's way, it may look like bondage at first, but it results in freedom. To not do as his way may look like freedom at first, but it results in bondage. It's the same thing whenever I get up here and tell you guys that sex is for married people. Now, people in their teens, they think, yeah, that's great if you're married. 
But when you're a teen, it feels like a prison sentence, right? But as you get older and you see people who have just gone from bed to bed to bed to sleeping with who they want, whenever they want to do that, their lives relationally are just, well, we're just experiencing the result of all this fallout in our culture from all this just sleep with who you want, when you want, whenever you want. Just destruction. But people who are willing to do it God's way and say, no, sex, are for mar- sex is for marriage, they wind up realizing that, that it's exclusivity that brings intimacy, not experience. It's exclusivity that brings that intimacy. And they experience, experience a freedom, a blessing in the sexual relationship. Think of it with forgiving. You know, we talk about forgiving, and some people, some of you are going to respond, you know what they did to me? I'll never forgive them. I don't care what you say, preacher. I'll never forgive them. And you lived long enough to know people who feel that way. And as they get older in life, and, and, and that bitterness, that anger just sort of set in their life, you see the result of that. Man, it's not pretty. But there's some of you, you've been hurt in a big way, and you've chosen to forgive, and just the, the, it's, it's like a burden's been lifted off of you. It's like you've been freed from a bondage. It's a whole different story. It becomes sort of liberating to forgive. Okay. So, so far, two scenarios. One is Jesus who tells us what obedience looks like from the outside. Then James who tells us what's going on the inside. But then there's John. John doesn't take the outside approach or the inside approach. John just smacks you right in the face with it. Okay, here's what John says. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. A disobedient Christian is not another kind of Christian. He is a liar. John just hits you right in the face. And so you have someone who says, I believe in Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm going to serve when I want to. I'm going to give when I want to. I'm going to forgive when I feel like forgiving. That's somebody who doesn't want a Lord. That's somebody who wants a consultant in their life. But someone who is serious about following Christ, a real Christian will obey when it's not convenient. They'll obey when they don't feel like it, and they'll obey even when it costs them. Now some conclusions. We got a lot of these. Number one, believing doesn't make any difference in our lives. It's what we do with what we believe. It is not enough to believe believe it privately. You have to behave it publicly. See, the New Testament word for this is obey. It's not believing, it's obedience that makes you a Christian. Because I can tell you this much, just about every drunk person I talk to believes in Jesus. There are people who haven't been in church in 20 years who believe in Jesus. There are people who just go from bed to bed to bed to bed to bed. They believe in Jesus. There are people that come to church every Sunday 
who just simply believe in Jesus. What I want you to understand is that the gospel is that Jesus is worthy of all our worship, of all glory, and demands immediate, complete surrender and obedience. The gospel is not just come and pray a prayer and have your life look the same as it did before you prayed the prayer. In other words, we have seen a lot of people that go through and they claim they believe. They may have said, I now believe and are baptized, but they never got the point where they became obedient. And until you get to that point where you become obedient, what Scripture says is that you're really not a Christian. The next thing, the one who obeys looks intently. Remember what James says? Looks intently in, into the perfect law. That, that means you contemplate. It's not, it's not just a glance. It's a gaze. Uh, the word intently is the same word that's used when Peter and John went to the tomb that morning, the empty tomb, and they looked in. They didn't just do, oh, it's empty and walk away. No, they took everything in. They looked at all the details. They took it all in. To, to, in other words, you want to know how to become an obedient Christian? You need to learn how to look intently. Now, there's a word that's used for that in Scripture. It's called meditate. Here's what Joshua tells us, or we read this from, from Joshua. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that, what's the purpose of this? So that you may carefully observe everything written in it. You want to become somebody who obeys? This is what you do. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And I know what you're thinking. I can't meditate. I can't even cross my legs. How am I supposed to meditate? Simply this. If you can worry, you can meditate. If you can think about the bad things, you can also think about the good things. Okay? What this means, if you want to become a person who actually obeys Scripture, you don't just glance at Scripture. You take a look at it. And you look at it and you see, okay, what is it calling me to do? Let me go through these things real quick. When you're reading Scripture, you can ask these things. Is there a sin I need to confess? Is there a promise I need to claim? Is there an attitude I need to change? Is there a command I need to obey? Is there an example I need to follow? Is there a prayer I need to pray? Is there an error I need to avoid? Is there a truth I need to affirm? Is there a thanksgiving I need to offer? You want to obey. One path to that is looking intently in Scripture. The third thing, this parable, the parable that Jesus told, about the wise man and the rod, that's the parable I'm talking about, will either be a comfort, a warning, or an explanation to you, one or the other. It could be a comfort to you because you know what Jesus says and you've taken those things and applied it to your life. Because you're a Christian, it's changed the way you do marriage. It's changed the way you work as a Christian. It's changed the way you do your relationships. It's changed the way you think. And so because of that, what he's saying here is that you are building a foundation that will serve you for the rest of your life. Because the storms will come, but you don't have to worry. 
because your faith is going to stand. You don't have a fragile faith. It's not going anywhere. So it's a comfort to you when those storms come. For us of you, it's a warning because you think, yeah, that's a little much. I don't think I'm going to do that. But my life's still good. I'm going to obey when I want to. I'll forgive just whenever I feel like it. And I may or may not be careful about what comes into my eyes, what comes into my life. But it's nothing but blue skies ahead of me. Jesus would say, your timeline is too short. He would say, God is not mocked. There will come a storm. And when it happens, your life is going to come crashing down. Your faith is just going to disappear. For us of you, it's an explanation. Because not only have you experienced the storms, you've experienced the crashes. You know what that's like. And Jesus would say, yeah, the reason you experienced the crash is because your faith never really made a difference in your life. You just believed something, but it never really made a difference. And it's not a word of condemnation. It's just an explanation on why your faith isn't doing so well. The next thing, there is no shortcut for the word built. When Jesus says he who built his house on the rock, built his house there, listen, that's hard work. Simply put, it's going to cost you something to obey. It will cost you. It's not an easy thing to do. But not obeying will cost you more. Let's go on to the next one. You can't pray yourself out of an issue that you have behaved yourself into. There's no silver bullet. There's no quick fix. You have to follow your way out of this. What I want you to hear is have a relationship with God to be connected to him. Because you're not just a robot going, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. It all comes in the, fear, in the sphere of a relationship with Jesus. It's not just out there, just do this. No, you're being led by the Spirit. You're walking by the Spirit. It's all in the compounds of that relationship. Okay? The next thing, people will argue with me in their mind so they don't have to do anything with what they've heard. Let me put it this way. Has any of you exercised when you didn't feel like exercising? Have you ever exercised with a bad attitude? I don't want to do this. You may exercise. Wow, you got to really work on that. You may exercise with a bad attitude. You may exercise when you didn't feel like it, but you still benefit from it. And there are people that will come and they will hear me and they'll say, yes, what Randy says is true, but I really don't like him very much. I don't like the way he put that. I don't like what he said. I don't like the words he used. And so they will let the mode in which they hear the truth keep them from doing anything about it. They don't have to see. They'll use that as an excuse. Well, because I don't like him, I don't want to do anything about it. Okay? That's what I mean by that. Here's the last one. When a church has experienced a great revival, it doesn't happen because the church discovers some truth they have never heard before. 
But God pours out his spirit in a great way because the church rediscovers the truth that has always been there, but has grown so cold toward it that they missed it. It comes to life. Their eyes are open and their hearts begin to melt in new ways. Do you get that? See, revival comes not because of, oh, I never heard that before. Wow. It, it comes because something that we know, that we may even say we believe, but it hits our hearts in a new and a fresh way, and we just bend before that truth. That's when revival happens. Don't we want that? That's why we give invitations. Because when you get convicted about something, you can come up and you can start your process of doing something about it right here and right now. Otherwise, you're just going to walk out the door. You're going to leave. And, and that conviction just going to sort of fade away. And in three days, you won't even be able to tell me what the sermon was about. Sometimes I can't tell you what the sermon is about three days later. Let's look at it this way. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. Doesn't do anybody any good. The benefit comes in the application. Right? You got the can of paint? It's not doing any good sitting there. The benefit of the paint comes when you apply it. The benefit of the truth comes when you apply it. Only when you obey will you experience him. So are you willing to follow Jesus into the life of obedience? Are you willing to do that? Again, it's not because you don't know what you need to do. It's just you don't want to take that step to do it. But that's where revival happens. Remember you say, okay, enough of that. I'm going to take that step. I've known what God's wanting to do in my life for years. I've known exactly the issues I have, my problems. But I've just been saying, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll get through it. But I'm telling you, all you're doing is, is undermining your own faith. You're creating a very fragile, frail faith that the least little storm is just going to fall apart. You don't want to do that. You want to take what God has told us to do and follow him in that life of obedience. Again, I want you to hear the relationship. None of this gets accomplished. None of this accomplishes what it needs to accomplish just by you trying to be a robot. Okay, I'll just check this off and check this off. No, it all comes in, in context of the relationship. Do you need to do that? Do you need to start that? Or do you just want to, well, I'll be, you just want to sit out there and move a little bit. Oh, boy, I felt so close. That sermon just touched my heart. I felt so close to God. But if you don't do anything with it, didn't do a bit of good, did it? Because believing doesn't make a difference. Just believing doesn't make a difference. Not at all. It's what you're willing to do with what you say you believe. 
That's what Jesus was getting across by pointing us to what it looks like on the outside. It's what James was getting across when he says, this is what's going on in your heart. You're deceiving yourself because you, you think you're prepared for something when you're not. And this is what John is saying when he just slaps us right in the face with it with a two by four and says, sorry, you don't obey. You're not a Christian. So I don't know whether you need to, in your life right now, you need to understand what that's going to look like outside of your life with the things you're doing in life, what people will be able to see and observe. I don't know if, from James' point of view, you need to look inside your heart about what being disobedient is doing inside of you and how you're deceiving yourself. And I don't know if maybe you just need that hit right inside your head that says, listen, the bottom line is, it's not believing that makes a Christian, it's somebody who's willing to obey. I don't, I don't know where that lands in your life. Which one of these ways that, 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 it, that it's hitting you? But the same solution, the same, it's the same solution for all three. Follow Jesus in a life of obedience. Begin to take that step and follow him. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.